Okay, so after a bit of a break because of lockdown, um, where I wasn't driving to school and therefore was not doing your drive to school top up class, um, school's back open. So it's time for the latest installment in your drive to work top up class. And this episode is going to be all about weddings in Greece and Rome. It's for the GCSE Women in the Ancient World Classical Civilization unit and we're going to be focusing on wedding ceremonies. Now before we start I just want to make something really clear um, because it's something that in the past people have gotten a bit tripped up with. We are talking about weddings which is the event where two people get married. We're not talking about marriages. The wedding is is the ceremony, the the ritual, um, the day or, or in the case of Athens the multiple days where you have a Um, set of formalised rituals that that kind of gets you married and there's usually a celebration, not always but usually Um, and then there's the marriage which is what comes afterwards and might last for the rest of the people's lives or might only last for a short time Um, we're going to be talking about weddings we're not going to be talking about marriages today and we're going to be focusing on Athens as well as Sparta and Rome um, but there's much more to say about Athens and Rome, so we're going to be talking about them mostly, and we'll just sort of drop in Sparta where it's relevant. So one of the big differences that emerges straight away when we're thinking about the wedding customs of these societies is length of time. Length of time that is dedicated to these. And in Athens, it's three days. You can think of it as being one day sort of getting ready beforehand, the day before, and then there's the main day where um, the main, uh, like all the guests will come together and there'll be the main celebration, and then there's the sort of morning after. That's all, that's all kind of considered to be part of the formal wedding celebration, those full three days. Uh, in Rome, happens over the course of one day. There's a lot of similar rituals that are observed in that one day in Rome as are in Athens um, but it all sort of gets condensed down as a much shorter event Um, and then in Sparta um, it it all takes place in the course of one evening so that's the the kind of shortest of all Um, in Athens, so the, the three days begins with some, some sort of preparation um, and the day before the wedding there will be the opportunity for the bride to get together with her family, friends if she has any. Uh, remember that the girls in Athens didn't typically spend a lot of time outside of their household so she might not really have very many friends outside of her immediate family and, and household. But if she had any, then they would be invited over and they get to share a quite small, intimate gathering, um, a small feast for them just to uh, spend time together. Now, this is going to be a rare occasion for an Athenian girl to have this kind of social occasion. As I mentioned a moment ago, they spend a lot of their time at home in Athens um, and that's different from Sparta where girls and women spend a lot of their time out of doors and it's also different from Rome where it's kind of in the middle where you know a a well-behaved Roman girl would probably spend quite a lot of time at home but she was still allowed to go out if um, if needs be and it was sort of more usual I think in Rome for a girl to have 
friends from another household, for example, because there wasn't such a strict expectation that she spend all her time inside. So for the Athenian bride, as well as the female members of the household, this is probably quite a special day, a day where they get to enjoy some luxuries, nice food, and, and time where they're not expected to work doing household chores or, or weaving. They can just spend social time together, and that's quite rare. So I think that would be, probably be quite special for them to be able to share. On that day as well, the, the day before the wedding, the bride would also make some sacrifices offerings to the gods, typically to Hera, the goddess of marriage, but also potentially to Aphrodite, goddess of love, and to Artemis, the goddess of childhood. So thanking Artemis for her protection in childhood, asking Aphrodite for a loving marriage, and asking Hera for a successful marriage. In Rome, there's a similar event at the beginning uh, of, of the ceremonies. Uh, so right at the start of the day, the bride, as part of her getting ready, she would make sacrifices to her household gods, the lares. So every household has got like a little sort of protective spirit or spirits, and they're called the lares, and they protect the house and they protect the family. And she would um, sacrifice her bulla. A bulla is a kind of necklace which is um, worn as a, as a lucky charm, and Roman children would wear these. And so the fact that she's sacrificing this quite personal token to her personal household gods might mean that this could be a little bit more of a sort of intimate experience than the Athenian girl sacrificing you know, to the great gods with you know, capital G's. These are, these are big, kind of terrifying gods, um, Artemis and Hera and Aphrodite. Um, I'm not saying that she would necessarily feel terrified when making these sacrifices, but maybe she feels less of a personal connection to them than your typical Roman girl would to her own family's household gods. Also, the fact that she's sacrificing the bulla is significant because that is associated with her childhood. And so the fact that she's giving this up at this moment is hammering home the idea that the wedding is a rite of passage where she's going to sort of transform from a girl into a woman. This is seen as the moment where adulthood is reached for a Roman girl, uh, the, the, the wedding day. So giving this up, this bulla, really hammers that home because this was something that will have been with her for her entire childhood and now she's giving up forever. In both Greece and Rome, there was a typical wedding costume that they would wear. Um, in Athens, it's um, quite varied depending on who you are and what your means are. Essentially, you would wear your finest dress, your finest outfit, all of the jewellery that you could afford. So that's going to have a lot of variation uh, depending on what, uh, what background you come from, what, uh, what your family's means are, how much jewellery, whether they can buy you a new dress, for example, or if you're, you're wearing something maybe that you've made yourself or that was handed down from uh, a family member. It's really going to vary. In Rome, there was more of a traditional look 
that most brides would go with, and this one has got a lot of connections to the goddess of the household, Vesta. Vesta's goddess of the hearth and of the home, and she's associated with um, fire, like, like warm, nourishing, life-giving fire. Um, and so the outfit involved a flame-coloured veil, sort of like reddish-orangish veil, that was a reference to the goddess Vesta, perhaps as a reference to how important Vesta is for a wife whose domain, her primary domain, is the household. Um, she would also wear her hair braided into uh, six locks, one for each of the uh, Vestal virgins, these really important priestesses who serve the goddess Vesta. So there's a lot of symbolism here that's specifically related to this one god. Um, perhaps an inference we could draw from that is that the costume of the Roman bride has got greater religious significance. Whereas in Athens, it seems to be more about showing off the amount of wealth that you've got or, you know, making the, making the bride feel as, as sort of pampered as possible that she's able to wear the finest clothes she's likely ever worn. In Sparta, it's very, very different again. In Sparta, the typical thing for a bride to do or to wear would be uh, man's clothes. She would have her hair on her head shaven or, or, or cut very short so it looked like uh, a man or a boy and she would wear man's clothing. And we believe this is all about the comfort of the groom. Nothing to do with the bride's comfort, but rather the groom. In Spartan society, it was encouraged for boys and men to have same-sex um, love, same-sex um, sort of physical encounters, as they believed it helped to bond the uh, men together as comrades. So they, in Sparta, they all are expected to fight in the Spartan army and to be professional warriors. Camaraderie, or comradeship, is really, really important to the um, masculinity of their society. And so, because of this, it's likely that on his wedding night, this is the first time that a Spartan man will have ever had a physical relationship, will ever have had sex with a woman, but it's not the first time he's ever had sex with anyone. It's likely that he's had sex with men before. And so this custom where the women dressed up like men was, we think, about, you know, settling the, the groom's nerves as he comes in to have um, his first sexual encounter with a woman. Um, which segues neatly onto something else that is important that we talk about. In all three societies, one of the core reasons for marriage is to um, conceive and, and bear children. And so each of the three wedding customs involves a point where the couple are expected to go off into private and to have sex, hopefully so that they can straight away start having children. In Sparta, this happens um, alone, so that the actual you know, wedding, I'm using air quotes here, which is probably a bit dangerous because I'm in the car, um, they, the, the wedding in Sparta essentially is 
the groom sneaking into the bride's home where he finds the bride dressed as, as a man and they have sex and then afterwards he goes back out from her house to where he stays with his comrades in communal barracks with his with his um, with the people that he trains and fights with in Rome it's also private so the ceremony or the celebration would end after a procession from the bride's house to the groom's house and the spectators the the guests would all join them on that procession but then once they arrived at the house the bride would make a small offering to the household gods of her new house and then they would retire and they would have sex hopefully to have a child in Athens it's a bit different in Athens there is also a procession from the bride's home to the groom's home so that's similar to Rome but the spectators didn't go home then. Some of them probably did, but at least some guests would stay for the whole night. They'd stand outside the couple's bedroom and they would bang on the door, they would sing wedding songs, and the idea was they were giving um, sort of encouragement to the couple in, um, in their lovemaking. Um, Depending on your perspective on this, you might think that it might be a nice thing, so, so comforting. This is likely to be the um, this likes to be quite a, quite a daunting experience for the bride because she may not know her new groom very well at all. He's likely to be much older than she is, probably one of her father's friends or business associates. And this is also when she is going to lose her virginity. She's she's not been you know allowed by Athenian society to have a sexual partner before so probably quite daunting maybe having some of her friends or, or former family members outside the door could be a little bit of a comfort or you might think that it's a bit weird and uncomfortable because you wouldn't want to think that your friends and family members might be able to hear you doing that entirely up to you what you think about that one but one of the big differences is in Athens um it's, it's not public because the couple are still alone in the room, but it's kind of semi-public because there are people standing right there and kind of listening in. Uh, right, what else do we need to talk about? I'm, I'm nearly at school, so the traffic has been very, very light today. Um, oh, let's talk about how in Rome there are three different kinds of ceremony that you can choose from. There is coemptio, and that is a reenactment of a sale of the bride. So the um, bride's father and the groom come together and they have a little weighing scale and on the scale they put a coin and that is symbolic of the bride being sold. This kind of weighing scales would be used in, in the marketplace, for example, to weigh out um, goods or to weigh out uh, payment for goods. And so this represents her being sold sort of symbolically. And so in this kind of uh, ceremony, the bride transfers legally, officially over to her husband's family. Uh, it's called a cum manu marriage, where she is legally that now the property of her husband. There's the conferatio wedding which is only available to a very small number of people. It's exclusively for the nobles, um, called the patricians. And this has a bit more pomp and ceremony. This has got a bit more of a religious 
element to it as well because you would be in the presence of the chief priest of Rome, the Pontifex Maximus. So, you know, he's a, he's a big deal. He's likely to be an important politician as well as a, a really important priest. You know, he's a, he's a celebrity, really. Um, and you'd also be presided over by um, what's called a pro-nuba. So this is a married woman um, who is only been married once. Um, and she is going to preside over it. And the ceremony also involves making an offering to the king of the gods, Jupiter. They would give him this special salt cake, and that salt cake is made by the Vestal Virgins. Again, that college of priestesses who serve Vesta. So there's a bit more of a sense of your kind of status with this sort of, of wedding, because there are lots of important people involved, uh, the Pontifex Maximus and the Vestal Virgins as well. Um, and then finally, there's uh, probably the most popular, the most common kind of wedding, um, and that's by Eusus. And a Eusus wedding doesn't actually have a formal ceremony at all. Rather, the bride and groom just gather in front of some witnesses and they declare that they wish to be married, and then they're married. Whatever version of the ceremony you have in Rome, you're likely to have a similar kind of celebration. This is another thing that people sometimes get a little bit confused with, saying that, well, a useless wedding would be rubbish because you don't really get to celebrate. That's not true. There's not much of a formal ceremony. Think of the ceremony as the part where the couple sort of stand up and everyone else is just watching. There's not much of a formal ceremony, but there's likely to be quite a, a significant celebration still. Um, and it takes a similar um, form regardless of what kind of ceremony you've gone for. There would be differences depending on how wealthy the families involved were. If they're a very, very wealthy, very influential family, they've likely invited lots of guests and it's going to be a really big party, lots of fine foods. If they're much, much poorer, then it might be a much smaller event and they might have food that is finer than what they would normally have, but it's not going to be to the same extent. So we can think about diversity of experience here if we're thinking about... Um, kind of evaluating any arguments to do with, with, with this. Um, there's not a kind of one-size-fit-all situation. Issues of class and, and poverty are also going to be really relevant here, like what we talked about in um, previous sessions on the upbringing of, of, of girls in Athens and Sparta and Rome. So anyway, the celebrations. There would normally be a feast in the home of the bride and... That would be a lovely social opportunity. Um, in Athens, it probably would be a bigger, a bigger deal for the women present because they are so normally excluded from social occasions. Um, the symposium, for example, is, is, is the name for an Athenian drinking party, and they, they always exclude women of the household, so they don't get to, to take part. However, dinner parties in Rome, well, they fairly commonly invite the women of the household to take part, and in Sparta, um, they don't really have sort of dinner parties per se, but the women are much, much more free to go about town and to manage themselves, manage their own lives, to have their own friendships and, and spend time with um, whoever they want. So in Sparta, well, um, doesn't really matter. Um, well, actually, in Sparta, they don't have a feast at all at the wedding because in, in Sparta, the wedding basically is the woman gets dressed up um, as a boy. The husband sneaks in, they have sex, and then he leaves. Um, but in Rome and, and in Athens, they have this feast. 
and also in Rome and Athens, after the feast, there is then a procession that takes place from the bride's home to the groom's home. Very, very similar situation, but with a couple of key differences. In Athens, the um, bride is sort of forcibly taken from her mother by her new groom. It's, it's like a pretend show of force, but what it's referring to is the custom of marriage by capture. This is a feature of a lot of myths, and so perhaps this is a moment of reenacting the the antics of um, the gods or, or of heroes from myth. Um, a good example of this might be the story of Hades and Persephone. Hades abducted Persephone and took her to the underworld to be his bride, and that was that. You know, it was fairly common um, in, in in myths and stories for you just to. If, if you were a powerful man, like a god or a king or a hero or a prince, um, just to see a woman and take her. She didn't have to consent to be um, the wife. Um, and this happens in myth mythological stories as well. Um, at various points, Theseus, um, from Theseus and the Minotaur, he uh, tries to abduct women to marry him. At one point, he goes to the underworld to try to abduct Persephone to make her marry him. Um, he also tries to abduct an Amazon warrior to get her to marry him. Um, and so this moment in the Athenian wedding where the groom makes a pretend show of force of, of, of taking the girl from her mother is probably reenacting these kinds of um, quote-unquote heroic or divine stories. Um, they then process through the streets to the groom's home and the spectators would likely um, sing wedding songs, so there'd be a very festive atmosphere. And then at the end of the procession, the axle, which is like the um, the, the piece of uh, the middle of the wheel of the cart, would be burned. And the idea that of that is it's symbolising that there's no turning back. The bride cannot return to her former home. Um, which really brings the ceremony to a, a sort of neat close. It kind, of, it kind of solidifies the fact that a transition has occurred. She's now a wife. But um, it could also be quite, quite daunting again. You know, as we mentioned a little while ago, she's probably not really um, very familiar with her new husband. She probably doesn't know him very well um, because she did not choose him. Her father chose him. And, and so this could be something that would uh, result in quite a lot of, uh, of anxiety, you know, worried. Is, is he going to be a, a good husband? Is this going to be a good new life for me? I hope so, because if not, there's no turning back. That's what this, this burning of the axle symbolises. In Rome, similar, but a bit different. So there's also a moment where the groom will take the bride from her mother in a pretend show of force. But this isn't referring to just general tales of marriage by capture. This is referring to a specific example of marriage by capture that you've already studied, and that is the abduction of the Sabine women. That was one of the important stories for the founding of Rome. It's one of their kind of origin stories. And so it might still make them think of the same kind of quote-unquote heroic 
behavior. Um, but instead of thinking about people like Theseus, these mythological heroes, it's thinking about like the founding fathers of Rome. And it's, it's perhaps got a slightly more patriotic or nationalistic kind of a feel to it. There's also the um, procession through the streets, and on this procession, the bride would drop a coin. The idea is that is a, an offering, a sacrifice to Janus, J-A-N-U-S, and he is the god of transitions, of beginnings and of endings. And so this is another thing that, that signals that this is a, an important transition in her life. She's going from being unmarried to married. If this is her first marriage, it's, it's going from being a girl to being a woman. And again, the um, spectators, the, the guests would, would join them on this. They would sing wedding songs. Um, we think that the women in the crowd would carry spindles, which is, is a piece of, of equipment you use when you're weaving. So this is symbolic of the bride's domestic tasks in the home. Um, and then we also think that the couple uh, would, would throw out, you know, small, small treats to the crowd, things like, you know, dried fruits and, and nuts and, and maybe even money. I'm not really sure um, what, what they would give, whatever the family could afford, I suppose. Um, and so, again, there's this sort of quite festive atmosphere. Um, there's singing, there's, there's music, there's um, general frivolity. And then it all ends at the, um, at the groom's home and the procession finishes with the bride being carried over the threshold of the new house by the groom. This is a uh, tradition that some people still observe today. The idea is that it is preventing the bride from tripping over the threshold. If she, had, if she were to trip over the threshold, that would be a very bad sign for this marriage. Um, and so um, I always think that this shows a, a bit of a lack of faith in the bride. Um, you know, we, we can't trust her to, to not trip over the threshold. So what we'll do is the groom, who's obviously so much more capable, he will not only walk himself, but he will carry her because um, we, can, we can have faith in him not to trip. Um, I'm saying this all very ironically, of course. Um, but, you know, I think it probably does reflect uh, the Roman idea that, that the woman sort of can't be trusted with even the simplest of tasks, like walking through a doorway. So anyway, um, that is all we've got time for for today. I hope you've learned some stuff or, or been reminded of some stuff about weddings. Um, happy revising. <laughs>